0: You're listening to locally produced programming created in KUNV Studios on public radio, KUNV 91.5. You're listening to special programming brought to you by Regana Kuman-Henry of Coldwell Banker Premier Realty. The content of this program does not reflect the views or opinions of 91.5 Jazz & More, the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, or the Board of Regents of the Nevada System of Higher Education.
1: Welcome to the Southern Nevada Real Estate Show. I'm your host, Regana, And today I have a very special guest, Ryan Pulliam, a manager with Tycor Title Company. Welcome, Ryan.
0: Regana, thank you so very much for having me today. I'm excited to, to chat with you a little bit.
1: It's great to have you on my show, Ryan. Now, Ryan, for the listeners out there... What steps does the title company take for real estate transactions?
0: So, uh, as you said, I work with Tycor Title Company of Nevada, and we operate in two functions in a real estate transaction. One is the escrow portion, which we facilitate as a neutral third party that handles the transaction. Um, we take all the information that we're, is given to us in the contract. We make sure everybody who's supposed to pay for things pays for things. Everybody who's supposed to get paid is paid. We record all the documents. And then on the also on the other end as a title insurance company where we issue a owner's policy of title insurance to ensure that the new buyer has clear and equitable title and if there's a lender involved we'll also issue a lender policy of title insurance ensuring that the lender is in first transa- uh, excuse me first position on the property
1: That's wonderful of uh, information uh, Ryan and Ryan what are the limitations of title
0: companies Well, we can only act upon written instructions. So if you call us and say, hey, can you do this or can you do that? We're not actually able to do it. We need to make sure that all parties involved agree upon any changes to the contract. So those have to be in writing. And again, when we're bringing in a a lot of money, oftentimes people have either legal or tax advice, and we cannot give either of those. We do not uh, practice law. We just operate as that neutral third party.
1: And Ryan, do you have to have a title company? For a real estate transaction?
0: It really all depends on the parties. If it is a cash transaction where maybe an uncle is selling to a nephew or somebody, uh, families are involved, they can most likely handle that outside of escrow. However, if there is a lender involved, the lender is going to want to ensure that it is handled through a reputable shop and a, a policy of title insurance is issued.
1: Okay. And what is a escrow officer and what do they do as part of the real estate transaction.
0: Regardless of the escrow officers that I have the opportunity to work with, the only word that I can think of to describe them are, are superheroes. They are just somebody who is involved from the beginning to the end of the transaction. They... Uh, get instructed through all parties. They um, they have to make sure that everything is paid for. Uh, they do the prorations, meaning that if a buyer comes in and says, hey, listen, I'm going to take property on the 15th of the month, the escrow officer has to ensure that the the, they're only paying for the time of the property, that they uh, they, they uh, occupy the property. So they have so much involved in the transaction that they really do it all, and everything has to funnel through them in order for the transaction to be closed. So again, in my eyes, they're a superhero.
1: Okay. What does, com- Ryan, what does community property state mean?
0: So Nevada is a community property state. I think we're one of either nine or eleven states in the U.S. that is a community property state. Legally speaking, community property is defined that all assets are split equally, uh, if if and when um, there is a divorce. But again, we don't necessarily look at that as legally. We want to make sure that community property to us is for the issuance of title insurance, meaning that anybody who may have a community property interest in the property has deeded off um, their their vested interest as well as any financial interest in the property they may have.
1: That's good to know, Ryan. And Ryan, what happens in a real estate transaction, for example, if a seller purchased a home before he or she was married, and the seller is now selling the home years later after he or she got married, Ryan?
0: It's a great question, and it comes up more often than not. Again, any property that's brought into a marriage is considered separate property but again you know we don't like to answer that legally because again we don't provide any legal advice whatsoever but in issuance of title insurance we need to make sure that the the spouse who is not on title does actually deed off their rights because again community property may mean although the maybe the husband acquired the property prior to marrying the wife they had a joint bank account Both of their uh, salaries or monthly earnings were going into the bank account. That bank account was used to pay the mortgage. It was paid to upkeep the property. Maybe it was was used to provide upgrades to the property. And if that's being done, then that spouse who's not on title can have a claim to say, hey, listen— I was in the property for eight years. Half of my money was going to it. I should have some some right uh, to the property. So again, not giving a legal advice on what it means, but just simply by issuing a policy of title insurance to to, to make sure there's not any claims uh, that, are, that are happening on the property, we would need to make sure that both parties did sign off.
1: And that is really good information for someone that is uh, married uh, to know about. And Ryan, what is the most common way for a married couple to take title?
0: So when we have a married couple come in, most often than not, it is husband and wife as joint tenants. Sometimes there'll be a little bit of an addition, husband and wife as joint tenants with rights of survivorship. Joint tenancy is important because, Regan, if you can think back to when you went to real estate school, uh, joint tenancy, you knew the severability of the property. If there's joint tenants on the property, then both parties have to deed off. Also, it protects against if, heaven forbid, something happened to to one of the spouses, the other spouse would maintain the property if they were vested husband and wife as joint tenants.
1: Okay, that's good to know. Okay, so we know about married couple, how to take title. What is the most common way for a single person to take title, Ryan?
0: It's funny because it kind of gets into semantics. If a, a, a man or a woman has never been married, they typically take title as a single man, woman, individual, person, uh, however they instruct us to vest them. If they have been married before and they're since not married any longer, so maybe somebody's been divorced before and then purchases a property afterwards, they are vested as an unmarried man, unmarried woman, un, unmarried person. So that's typically how single or, or unmarried people will take title.
1: Okay. That's good to know also, Ryan. Uh, Now, Ryan, does Tiger Title Company accommodate putting together a power of attorney if a buyer, let's say, can't be present for signing the final closing papers, Ryan?
0: Now, if we're instructed to do so, then yes. And it is a part of a transaction that we're handling. Again, going back to how we cannot practice law, if we prepare documents that aren't a party to the transaction, that's typically practicing law without a license. So we tend to steer away from those. A power of attorney obviously grants someone the ability to sign for uh, on behalf of another individual who may not be able to be present. So for us to approve a power of attorney, our underwriter would need to approve it. Our, uh, the If there's a lender involved, the lender would need to approve it. And we would just want to make sure there's some valid reason why an individual couldn't come in to sign the documents. Again, with us issuing the the insurance policy, we would want to make sure that everybody who's supposed to sign any documents are there in our office or with an approved notary to sign those documents. If people are signing via power of attorney, sometimes we just don't know for sure if that was the intent. So we typically like to prepare a specific power of attorney specific to the property that we have in in escrow. And again, there needs to be some reason that the individual can't come to the signing. Maybe it's their serving in the military overseas. By all means, that would be a valid reason. But with the advancement of technology, uh, our parent company has invested a large amount of money in a program called, we call it RON, Remote Online Notary. The state of Nevada is one of the states that has approved a a RON notary or Remote Online Notary, and that's when individuals can actually sign documents via a secure portal as long as they are a U.S. citizen and have um, at least three years of credit history. They can can sign documents and have it notarized electronically, and so that would... uh, sometimes negate the, the reason to have a power of attorney drawn up. And again, we want to make sure the people who are either encumbering property or signing off on property are the ones who are actually the parties involved.
1: Okay, that's good to know. And that sounds very convenient uh, when someone can actually be in front of a notary. For people that haven't purchased a home before, Ryan, us as realtors, we know what a preliminary title report is. But can you expand on uh, what a preliminary title report is for the listeners that maybe have not purchased a home before?
0: Yeah, the prelim is 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 kind of what we consider our roadmap into closing the transaction. And it's fascinating the way it's generated. So what will happen is, Regana, when you open up escrow with Tycor Title Company, your escrow officer will order, a, a, we call it a prelim, the preliminary title report. So our title department will search out what we call the chain of title, And that is everything that's ever been recorded or affecting that title from the very, very beginning to when the government deeded it to the first owner. So we take a look at that chain all the way from when it was deeded from the government up into what we call our plant date, which is typically about two weeks behind what our our, our actual date is. And what will happen is our examiners will then determined by looking at that chain of title, what is still affecting title. The things that will still affect title, obviously, are, are taxes. You're not going to get away from paying property taxes. There, If there's easements on the property, meaning that there's a dedicated uh, use of portion a portion of the land to uh, to benefit another individual if there are CCNRs on the property and then also if there's any mortgages, liens, or judgments uh, against either the property or the individuals as well. So it gives you everything that's going on with the property. They'll, it'll it'll um and again provides us a little bit of our roadmap on what all we need to do in order to provide that policy of title insurance and close the escrow.
1: Okay, that's good to know. And Ryan, for the listeners that maybe haven't purchased a home or haven't purchased a home or sold a home in a long time, what is a lien summary you can tell the listeners?
0: So a lien summary is if you don't want to look to all 18 or 24 pages of her preliminary title report, if you, know, if you don't have trouble falling asleep at night, and you don't have to read a prelim to try to get you there. A lien summary is a quick snapshot of just what liens are affecting title. So uh, uh, liens or encumbrances. So what we'll do on that It's a truncated version. Typically, it's one, maybe two pages, depending on how much is actually recorded on the property. It'll show you who the vested owners is or are, meaning who owns the property, who we show entitles on the property. It'll also show if there's any mortgages on the property, if they are in default or if they're behind on their payments. Also, with a homeowner's association liens, mechanics liens. Republic service liens sewer liens anytime they're not paying any uh, any of those utilities though they those utilities have the ability to actually lien the property and then we also what we we call a general index search meaning we search out the individual's names and that way we can determine if there's an IRS lien or a child support judgment anything that may financially affect the property is what a lien summary report will show and we generate those uh typically uh, you know on a daily basis and we can uh, provide those to to real estate professionals um, specifically so you all can understand what's actually affecting title before we uh, we go on a listing appointment or open up escrow.
1: Ryan, now what kind of title-related issues do you encounter, for example, with inherited property that is being sold? And do you have some examples?
0: the biggest issue that we have regana is when we look back to the vesting when we talked about when people are joint tenants if somebody unfortunately passes away that surviving joint tenant is able to uh, it keep keep the property it and they maintain the property if the individual is uh, on title as an unmarried man or woman or person or single man or war- married person Or even if they don't, um, even if they are married, but they're vested a married man's sole and separate property, then that that property has to go to probate. The people think that, okay, well, I'm married, it's community property, or my will states that i get the property that is all well and good again we don't practice law we insure the policy of title insurance so it needs to be a go through probate and a probate judge has to approve the sale one of the most recent phenomenon that we've seen in the last few years is what we've called a deed upon death meaning that um, if maybe uh, you know, I'm kind of getting up there in age and I want to make sure that my son, uh, he's kind of helping me out with the paperwork, I will record a deed upon death, meaning I record the deed on the property, and it takes effect after I actually pass away. So the moment I pass away, that deed takes effect and the, the son takes title. But what we found is that even the one air may have been designated to help out with the day to day or the paperwork there are other heirs involved and we don't want anybody to come and make a claim about the property so We've changed our underwriting guidelines when it comes to deed upon death, and now the uh, the sale has to be published, much like a, um, a foreclosure, and that way anybody who has any interest whatsoever in the property will have a right to come forward and say, "Listen, I have a right to the property. I don't approve the sale, and go from there." Because what we found again was one heir may have been designated as the individual, but not necessarily get all of the the, the proceeds, and that's when uh, again it would have to go, um, and, and all parties involved would have to. Um, to deed off, so those are the issues that we're having recently. If uh, if a property is in a trust, that's very easy because the trust actually owns the the, the property and other uh, successor trustees involved, and that that's where we don't have any issues. It's it's when people are vested as individuals and or uh, deed upon death. Those are when people when they pass away. That's when we have the most issues.
1: Okay, and that's good to know for people that may, may be experiencing something like that right now. Now, Ryan, what type of HOA-related issues do you encounter with sellers?
0: So the homeowners associations have the right to lien a property, and typically that's the biggest thing that we see when it comes to homeowners associations. So uh, right now, majority of the uh, the the equity in properties are able to take care of and, and pay the, the homeowners association liens off through escrow. Sometimes they have the ability to foreclose and that causes the timeline to go a little bit quicker. But speaking of timelines, the biggest issue that we have with HOAs, our homeowners associations, are we want to make sure that we are recording and closing escrow on the most current and recent document. So we can order a homeowners association demand, meaning we contact the homeowners association. They tell us how much is owed on the property, what the monthly dues are, if there's any uh, transfer fees involved, and we have to go ahead and, and close on that. But it's the timing issue because the the demands typically expire after 30 days, but at the same time, by Nevada Revised Statute, the homeowners association management company has 10 business days to get us the demand. So it's a, it's a, it's a very fine line that we walk to be able to order the demand in time for it to be valid when we close, but not wait too long to order, order it, and we're not able to uh, – we have to go past close of escrow uh, because we have not received the homeowners association demand yet. So those are the biggest issues that we have with HOAs.
1: Okay. Ryan, what type of tax issues do you encounter with buyers and sellers, and do you have some examples, Ryan?
0: So the tax issues, uh, again, when, when we're, we're working with a buyer – Most of the time, those tax issues are uncovered when they're applying for the loan. And if there's a big IRS lien against somebody, odds are they're not going to get approved for the loan. We do see it a lot of times on the seller's end. And the examples that we see for the IRS is somebody knows they owe $75,000 to the IRS. And they think, okay, I know I have $150,000 in equity in my home, but I want to sell that and access it, but I don't want to pay the IRS. So they will deed the property to... Uh, a friend, a family member, um, a son or a daughter, whatever the case may be, and think that that person can sell the property, get the proceeds, and then give it to the individual, uh, the previous owner. What we do, kind of going back to when we search out that prelim, is we will identify what we call a non-insured deed, meaning that it did not go through a title company, it wasn't a, a bonafide arm's length transaction that went through a a title company so it wasn't insured. It was just me going down recording a deed uh, to a new individual. When that happens, we will take a look at who the other party was, who the seller or grantor was on that previous deed, We'll need them to sign a validity statement, but we'll also do a GI search on their name, and that's most like, most likely the time that those IRS liens pop up, and that could actually stop the deal from happening if uh, there's either not enough proceeds to pay off the IRS lien or simply the IRS takes a little bit of time. I know that may shock you, Regana, that a government agency may take a little bit of time to get us the information back, but the IRS is notorious about uh, being slow to um, give us the payoff demands when we request them for IRS liens.
1: Wow, that's, that's really wonderful information. Information for people that may be going through some tax issues. Also, how does the title company handle mistakes found on the title report?
0: Well, hopefully, we handle it quickly so we don't uh, we don't slow down the closing of the transaction. But mistakes do happen, and that is when um, we kind of just have a gentleman's agreement. All the title companies in town work very closely with one another to ensure that if there was an escrow, again, an insured transaction that paid off a deed of trust, and that deed of trust is still showing on title, then what we do is we just ask for an indemnification. Say, hey, listen, XYZ title, will you indemnify us against loss if we record on it? And again, that gentleman's agreement typically works, and we get that indemnification from the, the other title company, and we're able to close. Sometimes, though, Deeds are recorded with just incorrect legal descriptions, and we will reach out to whatever company recorded that uh, that deed and then uh, work with them to get it corrected so it, it doesn't hold up our closing. So, again, we have that gentleman's agreement, and all the companies in town work pretty well together in that regard.
1: Okay, very good information, Ryan. And Ryan, if a seller is married, can one spouse sell a home without the other spouse's
0: signatures, Ryan? So if they're on title together, uh, no. Whoever's ever on title will have to be the people who sell to convey to convey property. Again, going back to our example is uh, if someone's a married man, a sole and separate property, and the wife has already deeded off um, through an insured transaction, our underwriters may look at that and say, yeah, we could just go ahead and have the one party deed off. But again, going back to our community uh, property rights, we just want to make sure that that wife is still okay with, hey, if there's a number of proceeds, especially if they're not married anymore, that can cause an issue because that, that, that joint bank account, again, may have been used to pay for the mortgage. So those are kind of on, on, on a case-by-case basis. And unfortunately, when sometimes people come in, uh, again, using that example prior that uh, I, I purchased the property before I was married and since I've been married, um, sometimes they come in and won't say that they're married. They'll be you know, they'll, they'll, they'll not be honest with us. And if they don't tell us that they're married, we really have no way of knowing. But that's the good thing about providing title insurance and your your buyers and sellers getting title insurance is that they're protected against any loss that they may have uh, because of a community interest rights not being deeded off or fraudulent deeds.
1: Good to know, Ryan. Now, Ryan, what if a buyer is married? Can one spouse purchase without the other spouse?
0: They can if they're paying in cash because when we have cash buyers that come in, the cash buyer will say, this is how I want to be vested. They instruct us on vesting and they can take title as um, however they want to be vested. Uh, however, it will cause an issue when they go to sell the property because again, going back to the previous question, both spouses or both individuals will need to deed off at some point in order to convey title. So when uh, when there's no lender involved, somebody comes in with cash, they can pretty much do whatever they want to do uh, in order to do that if there is uh if there's a lender involved they are going to want to make sure that if only one person is going to be on title sometimes the the actual the lender requires it that they only can lend money to one of the spouses so they will require us to insure it as Ryan pulling a married man, sold on separate property, and they will have the spouse deed off at closing, and that is one of the conditions of them funding the loan. So, yes, they can do it. Um, if they do it through a transaction, all is well and good. If they do it and don't tell the spouse about it, they can do it. However, it's going to cause an issue later on.
1: Good to know, Ryan. And, Ryan, final question. And if we had more time, I know you'd have several stories. But, Ryan, what is the most interesting title-related situation that you or your co-workers have ever dealt with.
0: Regana, you are absolutely correct. I could probably fill uh, at least a half an hour talking about a lot of the fraud that we're seeing a- as of late. Um, but one story kind of sticks out because it was so quintessentially a Las Vegas story. We had a gentleman come in and say that he had lost a vacant piece of land that he owned in a poker match. So he would put up the, the vacant piece of property then went back and forth and and you know how those uh, those poker matches can get those poker games can get and he ended up losing the property and i think they valued the loss at i want to say maybe 75,000 50,000 dollars it was some kind of a lower amount um the property was probably worth a lot more than that but they came in and said i need to deed this property to this buyer and um that's that's the way it is so we went ahead and facilitated the transaction we when we but when we went down to record it the county, who has a what's called a real property transfer tax, the county says that uh, listen, this we're 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 thinking that this piece of land is worth far more than what you're selling it as, so we can't have you um, we can't have you just pay transfer tax on the lower amount. We need the transfer tax on the higher amount, and I think it was upwards of like eight thousand dollars of transfer tax. So they went, and that should have been a red flag for us right away. But they went. And I think they had trouble finding the eight thousand dollars. So I thought, you know, hey, it's weird that they're able to do all this and they don't even have eight thousand dollars to to do the transfer tax. But lo and behold, they got it. We recorded on the property. We dispersed the the money uh, to the to the new buyer because um, if there was any money to, that was left over, because uh, again, we we deeded it as that amount of money and we were all we we're all well and good we went on about our day we sent out the final settlement statements as we typically do and then about 5 days later we had a gentleman come into our office and say listen I received this letter from you all about the sale of a, a piece of land here in Clark County, and I didn't sell this land. So obviously our hearts dropped because we thought, oh my gosh, we just insured on a fraudulent transaction. We called the escrow officer who handled the transaction to kind of get an idea of what transpired. Was there anything weird on it? Kind of give us give us the backstory on it. And she said, oh my gosh, you aren't going to believe this, but the buyers are in my lobby right now. They want to open up a refinance transaction with a hard money lender. They're trying to take out, I want to say like fifty dollars or $75,000. They, they were trying to take out money of the equity in the vacant piece of land. So we knew at that point that there was something shady about it. We didn't know if the buyer was, was in on it at the time. So we said, okay, keep going with the transaction. We're going to figure it out um we went they prepared all the documents the lender came in the lender funded the money that they were going to take out when the buyers came in to sign we had the we had metro police there Uh, they were arrested for a fraudulent transaction they were straw buyers they fraudulently bought the property before somebody who was promised them $25,000 in order for them to do this so they went to jail the the person who perpetrator the fraud went to jail and it taught us a good lesson that it was great when we sent the letter out after the close of escrow to the parties that were involved so we started sending out the letter at the beginning of the escrow and we've actually been able to uh, catch one fraudulent transaction because of that where we sent out a letter saying hey you know we're looking forward to handle the sale of your property and the guy called and said, "Listen, I-, I got this letter from you. I am not s- selling selling this property. and fortunately, that one wasn't uh, that one wasn't recorded. We didn't have to unwind the sale and go from there. But uh, Regan, again, it is amazing what these villains will try to do. and again, we could probably fill a thirty minute show just on that.
1: I know it's a scary stuff over there, but at least they caught them. That was good to good to know that they didn't get away with it on that particular story that you told. Ryan, Thank you so much for being on my show today, and please say your name, company name, and your phone number twice for the listeners.
0: We're going to thank you so much. It was an absolute pleasure sharing a little bit of time with you this morning, and again, my name is Ryan Pulliam with Tycore Title Company, and you can reach me at 702-528-2410. Once again, that's 702 702- 528-2410.
1: Thank you so much for being on my show, Ryan. And I am Regana Kuman-Henry with Coldwell Banker Premier Realty, your host for the Southern Nevada Real Estate Show that airs every fourth Sunday of the month at 7.30 a.m. My direct number is 702-596-1267. That's 702 596 1267. And my license number is BS 27880. Thank you so much for listening to my show today. And I wish everyone listening a great Sunday and a great week.